Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'd just like to welcome you um, to the seminar on prayer. This is a, an actual seminar that we do now every year and have been doing so for about the last six or seven years. And I've had the opportunity to um, do this. Actually, we've probably been doing it for about 10 years. I've done it a couple times with Pastor Finley. Um, last year it was with Dr. Small who's here in the audience, and, and several others, and just going to go through a few principles on praying uh, with patients and share a few testimonies. And I wonder if you would just pray for us as we begin the seminar. Let's pray together. Father, we sense the unique opportunity of seeing each patient that walks through the door of our office or whom we see in the hospital as a child created in the image of God, a son or daughter of God, enable us to open spiritual doors of opportunity, spiritual conversations, and may the ministry that we have to them make an eternal difference. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Thank you. So I think in the program, this is routinely entitled Praying with Patience. But I think it's actually much more than that because praying with patients is just one way and I think one sure way to just open the door to a spiritual conversation. And that's ultimately what I think the power, one of the powers of praying with patients is to do. And uh, I've been struck with the fact that um, as a physician, but it's true as a dentist, an optometrist, any type of healthcare worker, we have access to patients from all walks of life. The other side of the railroad tracks to the gated community and who fly on their, their, or work for Fortune 500 companies and fly on their business jets, they all come to my office. And so I have just a few moments to make a contact that Pastor Finley would probably not be able to make as a pastor. A Bible worker might not be able to get into their community, but they're coming to us. And it's, it's a huge responsibility. Just as we begin, um, I um, got started with this with the conviction that I should pray with my patients. I um, was out of cardiology fellowship about a year and a half. Um, I um, worked um, at the cath lab at Kettering Hospital, an Adventist uh, hospital. I went to Loma Linda, and I can honestly say in my four years at Loma Linda, I may have observed um, a prayer with patients once or twice. I did go to Wildwood for a month. I wanted to get some lifestyle medicine experience and figure out what I was going to do. And uh, one time there, we had one patient who came into the emergency room. And I stitched up his ear because he had fallen. He was very hard of hearing. Um, I uh, stitched up his ear. That was great. And then Dr. DeRose, who was my mentor at Wildwood that month, said, well, are you going to do the most important part of your encounter? And I was like, oh, most important part? What's that? He says, are you going to pray with him? That was the most awkward, difficult prayer that I felt so clumsy and awkward with because I didn't know how to pray with a patient. I couldn't remember his name. He couldn't hear me. I was yelling at the top of my lungs, <laughs> trying to be, trying to get through to him and was not comfortable with that experience at all. And that's basically where my prayer life with patients ended for quite a few years. Um, I was aware of Dr. Small, who had practiced as a surgeon at, at Kettering for many, many years, and I knew that his patients really appreciated the fact that before surgery, he would pray with them. I didn't know how to do it. And uh, a year into this then, 
um, into my, after finishing cardiology fellowship, I had a lady come up who had a very critically tight left main coronary artery um, occlusion, just barely put the catheter into, um, into her heart, and the blood pressure just immediately started going down. Her heart rate started slowing, and you just take one picture and pull the catheter out and essentially call surgery. And uh, before I say that, I was kind of embarrassed to express my religion around um, all these hip young people that worked in the cath lab. They're all pretty cool. They're into the modern culture. I was just like, oh, man, this would be so embarrassing if I pray. And so we called surgery, and an anesthesiologist came down. There were, the whole OR team came in. There were about 30 people scrambling around this lady trying to get her ready to get to the OR within about 15 minutes, and all in the middle of this hassle and, and uh, hubbub in the, in the cath labs, getting ready to slide on over to the operating room. The anesthesiologist said, can everybody be quiet for one moment? I'm just going to have a prayer with her. And I thought, wow, I should have done that. And then, um, to make it worse... Several of these young, hip people that I work with said, wow, that was really cool. Did you see what he did? And I was, that was just like a conviction to me that I should have been the one to do this. I shouldn't have been worrying about what other people were thinking, but I still didn't know how to do it. And it was right at that time that the, uh, very, at the, well, the planning session to the Amen is actually in Cahutta Springs. Um, Dr., uh, Pastor Finley came down and talked about praying with patients and I guess I was the guy that took it to heart the most because by the first Amen conference, I was then sharing a testimony about how powerful this had been and how I started off trying to identify um, the patients that I thought might be open to prayer. You know, the people that go to church that are clean cut, they appreciated it. But little by little, I realized it's actually the ones that I judged as probably the least religious are the ones that started sobbing and started getting tears in their eyes. And the guys that would come in, big muscles and a cut-off shirt and tattoos and a headband, and they looked like they came from a gang, they would just start crying and say, nobody's ever done that. And I was able to minister to people from all walks of life. It was amazing. So I um, believe as a principle, God is the initiator. We don't initiate anything in our salvation. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. We love him because he first loved us. Um, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And um, because of what Jesus did, his righteous act results in, in justification. God initiates all things. And I believe that as we reflect his character and as physicians and dentists and healthcare practitioners it's our job to reflect him and do the same. And so shouldn't we also be the one that initiates, the ones that help draw people forward? And so medical ministry, page 13, said, some have asked me, why should, we have, why should we have sanitariums? Why shouldn't we just, like Christ, pray for the sick, that they may be healed miraculously? And I have answered, suppose we were able to do this in all cases, how many would appreciate the healing? Would those who were healed become health reformers, or would they continue to be health destroyers. And so an interesting principle, um, prayer, um, I'm careful with what I pray for. I don't pray for miraculous healing for my patients very often. I have on a couple of occasions. Um, normally I pray that they'll be able to make changes in their life that I believe will lead to good health. And we'll look at that just a, a little bit more because um, I think that's an important concept. Ministry of Healing, page 118. Wonderful are the opportunities given to the guardians of the sick. 
and all that is done for the restoration of the sick, let them understand that the physician is seeking to help them cooperate with God in combating disease. Lead them to feel that at every step taken in harmony with the laws of God, they may expect the aid of divine power. And so I've now gotten into the habit of telling patients that the diet that we've been talking about, the lifestyle changes, the plant-based diet, this is a principle from God's word. And if you follow that principle, it's going to lead to healing. It's going to lead to good health. And at that point, I pray that they'll have the, the power of God to make that change in their life. Um, my favorite story from a long time ago, but it's still the most powerful experience I've had about the power of prayer to make a change, um, was a, a gentleman named Stephen. It's his real name because he was willing to even be videotaped for a, a testimony on prayer. Stephen came to my office, um, a guy in his 40s. His father had died of a heart attack at the age of 45. He'd lived a very hard life. He weighed over 400 pounds. He uh, rode a motorcycle. He looked like he rode a motorcycle with a headband, a, a, a leather uh, vest, and uh, he worked uh, down in Cincinnati. He partied hard on the weekends. He uh, smoked um, about two packs per day, binge drank on the weekends. He was morbidly obese, had diabetes, high blood pressure, and, of course, a strong family history. He had every risk factor for heart disease. He uh, had some sharp chest pains and wound up going to the emergency room. They didn't correspond anything because it was very atypical. But nevertheless, they sent him over to see me. And with a stress test and some testing, it realized that pain was in his heart. Um, but I had a conversation with him. I said, Stephen, you are living on the road to destruction. It's not, this wasn't your heart, but this is a wake-up call that it's time for you to make a change. And normally I don't do this. Normally I pick one or two changes that I think they ought to work on. Might talk a little bit about, um, well, number one, I would pick smoking because I think that's the number one big risk factor and then maybe start talking about obesity. But somehow I just felt impressed to tell Stephen the whole thing. And I don't still usually do this, but I said, Stephen, um, God has a better plan for your life. I said, do you go to church? And he goes, no, I, was, uh, I went to church a few times um, when I was a child um, growing up, but I, I haven't been. Um, he had stated that his marriage was in big trouble and um, everything in his life was falling apart. Um, and I just said, well, Stephen, God has a plan for your life. And um, if you continue on the road that you're going on, you aren't going to live much longer, and you will be back here with a heart attack. And so you still have a window to make some changes. And so I outlined with him that it was important um, to overcome smoking. It was the number one risk factor, that the binge drinking and alcohol uh, was destroying his life, um, that he was over 400 pounds, and that was what was directly leading to the diabetes, the high blood pressure, the obesity, and all those are risk factors for heart disease. And I said, so Stephen, God's ideal... And I showed him in the Bible, God's ideal is to be smoking-free, alcohol-free, and to be on a plant-based diet. Um, and he was listening. And I said, by the way, one of the things I offer to do with all my patients is to have a prayer. And at that point, Stephen just started crying. And he took my hand and he said, absolutely, I'd love to pray with you. And um, I didn't know much back then, so I prayed with him and I prayed that God would give him the power to change his life. And uh, I didn't talk to him about CHIP program, Diabetes Undone, any other program. I didn't give him any books. I didn't give him any brochures. I didn't give him anything. And I said, Stephen, let's just check back in a year. Pretty bad, huh? <laughs> Stephen came back in in a year, and my nurse who likes to jump to conclusions said, oh, Stephen had his bariatric surgery. I said, what do you mean? Well, she said, well, he's lost over 200 pounds. And uh, I walked in and said, Stephen, did you have surgery? 
He says, no, Doc, I didn't have surgery. And I said, wow, you've lost over 200 pounds in a year. It's amazing. Um, might have been a little over a year, but uh, he had really worked on this. He was still just a little overweight, but his cholesterol was just about normal. His blood pressure was normal. Um, he had stopped smoking the day that I prayed with him, and he went on a plant-based diet. He said, Dr. Schwartz, I started going to a church. Um, things are going great with my wife. I quit my job down there. I've got a new job up here, and he's wearing a clean-cut shirt, and his hair's clean-cut, and it just had completely changed his life. I said, Stephen, how in the world did you make these changes? He said, well, it was easy. I realized I was going to die, and you prayed with me. And because you prayed with me, God gave me the power to make those changes in my life. Stephen went vegan, smokeless, alcohol-free, in a matter of, uh, well, on the spot, because I offered to have a prayer with him, and that was the power of prayer. Um, And that convinced me that I was on the right track, that the only way to motivate real changes in people's lives is to point them to the person that can give them the power to make those changes. And if I left spirituality uh, out of my practice, I was leaving out um, all the power. All right, let's see. Time flies when you're having fun here. So let's look at Ministry of Healing, page 118. The sick and suffering will have much more confidence than the physician who they are confident loves and fears God. They rely upon his words. They feel a sense of safety in the presence and administration of that physician. There is a confidence that I find that most of my patients appreciate when I pray with them and I let them know that I am not the one that's going to heal them. God's going to use me to bring healing to them. And then one more, only he who reads the heart can know with with what trembling and terror many patients consent to an operation under the surgeon's hand. They realize their peril. While they may have confidence in the physician's skill, they know that it is not infallible. But as they see the physician bowed in prayer, asking help from God, they are inspired with confidence. Gratitude and trust open the heart to the healing power of God. The energies of the whole being are vitalized and the life forces triumph. And uh, to the physician also, the Savior's presence is an element of strength. Often the responsibilities and possibilities of his work bring dread upon the spirit. The feverishness of uncertainty and fear would make the hand unskillful. But the assurance that the divine counselor is beside him to guide and to sustain imparts quietness and courage. The touch of Christ upon the physician's hands bring vitality, restfulness, confidence, and power. And there's been many times where I felt like we were about to lose a patient. Somebody with a heart attack, they're in cardiogenic shock. Um, All of a sudden, their heart rate just starts slowing down, and you know they're about to just fibrillate or just go into asystole. And I will often just right then and there just pray, and Lord, you've got to help me through this and give me confidence. And a peace just comes over me. We just start working on what we can work on. And many, many times I believe that's help me reflect to the rest of our staff that uh, we can be calm and uh, continue to work, and it's often been to great benefit as a result of that. The way in which Christ worked was to preach the word and to relieve suffering by miraculous works of healing, but I am instructed that we cannot now work in this way, for Satan will exercise his power by working miracles. God's servants today could not work by means of miracles because spurious works of healing— Claiming to be divine will be wrought. And so we need to point people to the source of healing and help them see what the principles of health are. And I believe that's God's method for healing in the last days. And he often warned them, go and sin no more, lest a greater thing come on to you. Well, why did Christ heal? 
Why did he relieve disease? In the Bible, it looks like Jesus spent as much time healing as he did teaching and preaching. And I believe that's because um, of several things. One is, by healing, he reveals God's character. Um, As we mentioned last night, God gets the blame for all the bad things that happen in this world. And not a day goes by that a patient doesn't ask me, why is God doing this to me? And by having a spiritual conversation, we have the the ability to set the record straight about God's character, that it's the the destroyer that brings destruction. And so I believe that it was to demonstrate God's character. It was to dispel the myth that, that disease is a curse of God. It's the devil that brings disease. It opens the door to receive the gospel, and it breaks down barriers. And of course, just out of the goodness of his heart, he just, he just in mercy, just had to relieve the suffering around him. And so he sought to do that. And in some villages, the Bible says that he healed everyone in the village. And so Jesus loved to heal, and I believe that was also doing the gospel in action. Sickness, ministry of healing, 113, sickness, suffering, and death are the work of an antagonistic power. Satan is the destroyer. God is the restorer. And so everything in our culture, everything in our society gets, that's wrong gets blamed on God, but that's really not the way it is. And so by, by healing, we can show what God's character truly is like. The words spoken to Israel are true today to those who re- recover health of body or health of soul. I am the Lord that healeth thee. And it's the desire of God for every human being is expressed in the words, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Um, A quote from Alvin Adams, who presented this morning. So last year at this conference, um, a lady asked a question at the end, what if I'm working at an institution where I'm not allowed to pray? And I answered her, well, there's often ways that you can do it without violating that if you just... uh, ask a patient if they want to do that. Um, But I told her, you just have to work within the circumstances that you're working in. And I went home and thought about that and realized that's probably the wrong answer. Why would any of us want to work as a Christian healthcare professional in a place where we can't be Christian healthcare professionals? And so I thought this quote was interesting. In circumstances where proclaiming the gospel is specifically prohibited, when we agree to limit our efforts to secular activities, we are no better than any other worldly enterprise that provides physical service. If we feel constrained or are contractually constrained from speaking freely about God, when circumstances warrant an opportunity occurs, we should avoid these opportunities and let others carry on that work. And so my counsel now would be that it's uh, time to look at where you're employed and see if you can find a place where you can p- preach the gospel and uh, carry on. Um, a couple of things that I've learned over the years, actually, from Pastor Finley. Um, maybe I should let you look at this slide. Um, I will let you do that slide. I'm going to jump over. Um, I'm going to let you do. I'm going to do this slide real quick. So Pastor Finley is going to talk a little bit about the ethics of praying with patients. Some people have made the argument that it's unethical. Um, I'll let him talk about that. But what about different religions? So at first, if I had a patient come in that I knew that was Jewish, um, I was a little bit cautious how I prayed. And if I had a patient come in that was Muslim, but I started having some extremely powerful experiences with Jewish and Muslim patients in particular. One uh, of my patients, um, actually a patient who had seen one of my partners who is Muslim, but then I wound up seeing him in the hospital, and I offered to pray with him. 
And uh, he is actually a professor of pathology who was one of the founders of a medical school. Um, came over from uh, Syria many years ago. And uh, he's been in this country for over 30 years. He took my hand. He started crying. He said, Dr. Schwartz, you have showed me the most respect of any person that I've ever met in this country. All I did was offer to pray with him. And he took that as a sign of respect. He said, Dr. Schwartz, we believe in the same God. And you have shown me respect by offering to share your religion with me. And uh, he was not the least bit offended that I prayed in Jesus' name. He wasn't the least bit offended that it was a Christian prayer. And he switched his practice from my Muslim partner to my practice, and I still see him today. And we still pray every time. And because he believes that I treated him with respect. And every time he comes in and he talks about, you know, there's a lot of similarities between Islam and Christianity. And every time we spend 15 or 20 minutes talking about some of the, the similarities that we have in common because this has brought about a common bond. Another patient I had was, is a, uh, actually was trained as a Jewish rabbi but also a scientist. He was legally blind. He was retired. His wife was the director of nursing at a nearby hospital. And uh, he uh, had passed out three times and so came into the hospital. My partner admitted him and he was in complete heart block with a heart rate around uh, the 20s. And when he'd get up or try to move, he'd just get too lightheaded and he'd uh, pass out. After my partner explained to him, you need a pacemaker and this will take care of the problem, he says, you know, I don't want any modern technologies. Um, if it's my time to go, I'm just ready to go. Um, no, I'm going to just decline all that. I'm just going to go home and whatever time I have, that's what I've got left. And uh, so he's Jewish. But my partner said, well, at least let Dr. Schwartz come in and tell you about the procedure and then you can make up your mind. He said, that's fine. So I walked in. I uh, greeted him, and, uh, said, and uh, he said, I'll just tell you right up front, I don't want this. And I said, oh, that's, so that's okay. Let me just tell you how simple it is. It'll take me about 45 minutes. I don't even have to put you to sleep. I can just numb you up. You can go home today if you want. Um, it, it's, and you're going to feel better, and it's going to restore you to health. He says, I know, but I've lived a good long life. It's fine. I said, okay, that's fine. Um, I'm not going to in any way try to twist your arm, and we'll do it later on if you change your mind. But by the way, one of the things I offer to do is to have a prayer. Would you be willing if I prayed with you? And he says, well, Dr. Schwartz, that would be fantastic. And so I took his hand. I prayed with him. Um, I just prayed that God would bless him and that he's had a good life and that he's in God's hands. And at the very, uh, uh, at the very end, he started crying, and he said, Dr. Schwartz, I'll go ahead and have that pacemaker. Just because I prayed with him. We became friends. We actually started meeting him uh, every couple of months. He and his wife and Lindy and I would meet at a Panera and we'd discuss religion for about an hour. And when I went up to get something at the counter, he told my wife, he said, you know, when your husband was in there, I was, my mind was made up that I was not going to have a pacemaker. Um, he said, but, but the thought came to my mind when he prayed, praise God, I've found a doctor who doesn't think he's God. And for whatever that meant, he decided that it was fine to then trust me to go ahead and put his pacemaker in. And he's still, still alive, and we still have good conversations. Um, I believe that, you know, when we pray, sometimes we say, Lord, whatever, according to your will. I'm convinced that we need to know what God's will is, and that's what we need to pray. I think it's a cop-out to say, well, Lord, if it's in your will to heal. It's always God's will to heal. What we don't know is God's timing. Right, exactly. But it's always God's will to heal. 
And so we need to know God's will, and especially if it's in the scripture, we can know it. So I've learned a few things from you over the years. And uh, so we can know God's will, and, and by praying and by having a spiritual conversation, it restores a picture of God's character. Um, why pray? It imparts hope in divine healing. It points to the only source of true healing. It keeps me humble, and I do need that. You can ask my wife. It goes beyond what is expected. Even to my atheistic patients, they see it at least as an act of kindness on my part that I'm going beyond just what they paid their $60 for. Um, and so they, they, they interpret it that I actually care about them. You can decide if I really do or not, but they interpret it that way. But most importantly, it can reach people that the church will never reach, and it opens the door to a spiritual conversation. And I'm going to turn the microphone over to uh, Pastor Finley. Um, I'll let you talk about this, centering prayer, spiritualism. There's wrong ways to pray. Too much. I didn't give him enough time. So you're going to get to do this, <laughs> and uh, we'll have time for questions at the very end. Well, thank you, Pastor Schwartz. Uh, he was a pastor then, wasn't he? Um, I will deal with the medical aspects as a preacher, and he dealt with the uh, spiritual aspects. Uh, 1950s, and thanks, Brian. I'm always blessed when I listen to the stories that Brian has. I, we were doing a little video earlier on prayer and healing and uh, producing it for Amen earlier today. And I asked Dr. Schwartz, I said, tell me how many people you've prayed with in the last few years. And he, I said, was it hundreds? He said, oh man, thousands. And I, so when I was doing this video, I, he was listening to me and I said, man, he's prayed with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. He said, you've got to correct that, please. <laughs> he said, I didn't say that, I said thousands. But you know, um, to see that many people in your office, you see more people as a physician in a week than most pastors do in six months. Uh, people walk through your office and you have an amazing opportunity. I want to share with you a little bit about spirituality and healing and then the practice. How can you be ethical without bridging a person's freedom of choice? And what are some of the practical ways that you can lead them into prayer? In the 1950s, the American Medical Association was going through a major transition. Studies were beginning to come across their um, not across their horizon, and research was taking place indicating that there was a direct link between spirituality and healing. Many in the American Medical Association were kind of putting their hands up at that point. They didn't want to associate with any so-called Bible thumpers. Um, it was at that point in the late 1950s that the American Medical Associ Association began looking at spirituality and healing. And uh, Dr. Bernard Daniels was the chairman of the AMA's, uh, continue, uh, AMA's uh, Committee on Medicine and Spirituality. And as they began to look at these studies, eventually there are about 300 studies that show the positive benefit of spirituality and health. And uh, Dr. Daniels made this amazing statement. He said, the truth is that spirituality is an enormous factor in problems relating to the state of health. In other words, that there is such a linkage between spirituality and health that there was a study done in uh, 1995 by the Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center, and they said a major predictor of improving your health 
and recovery after coronary artery surgery is the depth of your faith. And so as these studies began to um, be more overtly discussed, uh, Dr. Howard Heyman of the University of Illinois added his voice to this growing number of people in the medical community. And he, he made really a remarkable statement. Uh, it was published in uh, the Journal of Health um, back in the 90s, 1995, and it said this, a healthy human life is more than a struggle for survival. It's essentially a search for human fulfillment and for meaning related to the ultimate concerns and commitments. Despite Western man's religious doubts and the rise of skepticism, he has a growing hunger for a more spiritual outlook on life. That's an amazing statement. And the statement really indicates that there is this God-shaped vacuum in every heart. And there's this yearning in every heart. There's this longing in every heart for spirituality. It reminds me of what scripture says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 that says, God has placed eternity in their hearts. So every person that walks through the doors of your office has eternity in their heart. They may not know they do. They may not understand they do. But there is this longing for something more. There's this longing to know God. There's this longing for purpose in life and meaning in life and direction in life. And as a Christian physician or Christian dentist you have a un or medical professional, you have a unique opportunity to minister to those people that come through the doors. Now, how do you lead into spiritual conversations? In what way can you really do that? How do you make that bridge? Um, there are a number of suggestions that I'm going to make, and I'm going to, make four, I'm going to give you four lines of reasoning. Somebody told me once that any method used exclusively is a poor method. You may have wonderful ways, but any method used exclusively is a poor method. So every person that comes into your office is going to be different. And as you're analyzing how best to, how best to minister... And I appreciated what Dr. Schwartz said about the fact that prayer often opens up spiritual conversations. So a person walks to the door of the office and you begin to talk to them and chat with them. And as you're talking to them, let's suppose that they have, um, you've just diagnosed and uh, that diagnosis is cancer. The lump under the arm was malignant and you've detected that, the tests have come back and you detect that they have cancer. Let's suppose that you have looked at their cholesterol levels, they're really high, 250, 260, 270, extremely high, over 400 of course, you've got four times the chance of a heart attack if you're under, I mean over 200, you have four times the chance of a heart attack if, than if you're under 200, but you're looking at this aggregate of cholesterol, you see it's extremely high, person is overweight, uh, they are pre-diabetic, they're smoking, and um, they've got immense problems. And as you begin to talk to them, one of the questions that we have suggested to physicians and dentists that has been really helpful is this question. You notice in the ministry of Jesus, he asked a lot of questions. And uh, so you've been talking to your patient and you may want to ask a question like this. You may want to say, you know, as you're facing uh, this health challenge, where in the challenges of your life, we all have different areas that we find support in. Where do you find your greatest support when you face challenges in your life? Where do you find your greatest support? Is it in a friend? Is it in your family? 
And um, does God play any role at all in your life when you are looking for a support system? That opens up a spiritual door of conversation for them. And then you can simply say, as a Christian physician, you know, when I face challenges in my own life, as a Christian physician, I find real strength and help in prayer and in God. May I pray for you? Now, sometimes you'll get strange reactions. Sometimes a person will say to you, oh, doc, if it makes you feel good, I don't believe, but go ahead and do it. I mean, it's really interesting the kind of reactions that you'll get. In a recent survey, approximately 67% of people walking through the doors of doctor's offices and in dentist's offices said when they were asked on a survey, if your physician, if your medical health care provider asked if you wanted to pray, would you feel that that was a positive thing? Would it be a good thing or would you resist it? 67% of the people said, we would like our health care provider to pray for us. So one thing to keep in mind is this. Two-thirds of the people walking through the door of your practice would like you to pray for them. They would like that. Why? Because there's this spiritual longing in their heart, this spiritual desire in their life. One way to do that is asking the support question. In the challenges of your life, where do you find your greatest uh, sense of support? Here's another way you can ask it. You can say this. As a Christian physician, so you're talking to your patient and you're coming to the end of the visit, you've given your diagnosis, you've given the uh, prescription, and you say, as a Christian physician, I have um, often discovered that when my patients have greater faith they tend to heal more quickly. And uh, I wanted to um, ask you this question. You know, when we have greater faith, we, we tend to um, be more positive about life. We tend to be more encouraged about life. And may I pray with you that God will help each one of us, me and you both, to have the healthy body that he wants and that he will enable us to have greater faith. Um, so you can ask that faith question, and many people will respond, but you can see where the conversation is going, and that's why I'm giving you a number of uh, varying approaches, because you don't use one approach on the same person. But we have found that when physicians are saying, I've discovered that faith helps a person to heal more quickly, that often there is a greater receptivity to prayer. Um, here's another one. Um, and this one you can almost do with a little smile, but it really, for some tough nuts, this is for one that a person's kind of resistant to your prayer. You can say something like this. You've kind of detected that in the conversation. You can say, you know, as a physician, John, I need all the help I can get for healing. Would you mind if I just prayed now that God will give me the wisdom as we work on this challenge together? See, there, you're not asking to increase their faith at all. But there, what's taking place, you're saying, I need all the help I can get. And the person's thinking, yeah, he sure does. You know, um, the fourth aspect of the fourth way that we can sometimes get into prayer is say, as Dr. Schwartz did, one of the practices that I have 
as a Christian physician is to offer prayer to each of my patients. May I pray for you? Now, that one is used most regularly. I love the may I principle. The may I principle has a deep theological significance because when you say, as a Christian physician, I offer each of my patients the opportunity to pray for them, may I pray for you, may I is saying, I respect your freedom of choice. May I is saying, I give you permission to close the door if you don't want me to pray for you. May I is saying, it's your choice, it's something that I'm offering to you. So the may I principle And we use that all the time when we are leading into prayer for people. We say, may I pray for you? I like to offer this to my patients. So it's not a strong-armed approach that attempts to twist people's arm. Um, Now, let me tell you what you don't want to do. You don't want to dump prayer on them like a dump truck that is simply um, uh, dumping out a load of dirt For example, a person came into a physician's office and the physician talked to them for a while, gave them diagnosis, the person was there about five minutes, and then the physician said, after the, um, there wasn't much of a relationship built, and the physician looked at the patient and said, now let us pray. (laughs) And And the patient looked at him and said, Doc, is my problem that serious? Am I going to die? <laughs> you know? And so it's a, it's a matter of gentleness. It's a matter of asking questions, developing a rapport. Now, what are some of the advantages? What are some of the advantages? Brian went over a few. But what are some of the advantages of praying with a patient? I think there are at least four major significant adva- advantages. There are others, but at least four. When you pray with a patient, it builds confidence in the patient's mind in you as a physician. It really builds a lot of confidence because the patient then is recognizing this physician is seeking divine aid. This physician is not on their own. That is significant. Secondly, when you pray with a patient, it creates an atmosphere of peace. It creates, it helps the patient to relax. And what does that do? When a person feels nervous, anxious, intense, now not a lot of people, and you probably, because you work in the medical profession and you're in offices or hospitals each day, but those of us who do not go to the doctor every day, are you with me now? Those of us who don't go to the doctor every day, it's a little bit intimidating for us. It's a little bit fearful for us. It's a little bit, we have a little bit of anxiety. So when I go to the physician, if I'm going to see my friend Dr. Schwartz, it, it's, it's typically because I've had some cardiovascular problem and I've taken my EKG and it's been up and way down and, you know, it's wiggly lines rather than too even going across. And I'm a little anxious about it. And I'm a little nervous about it. But what does prayer do? It helps me to relax. And when he prays for me, there's this calm, there's this peace. When this calm comes over me, what does that then do? The brain then produces positive chemical byproducts called endorphins that help to bring health and healing to the system. So 
prayer is not only something that opens the door for God to act miraculously in a, in a supernatural way, but prayer creates an environment for the Holy Spirit to work on the brain so that individuals can produce positive chemical endorphins that bring health and healing to the entire system. Whereas worry, grief, and anxiety, according to Ministry of Healing, break down the system and destroy the system. Where relaxation and confidence. So I think that's a second reason to pray for your patient, that you create an atmosphere. I also believe that as, in, in accordance with that, that as you pray for your patients, you create an atmosphere among your own staff, among the nurses, among the other medical personnel that work with you, that when people walk through the door of your office, it's not like they're walking through as commodities, but they are human beings created in the image of God. And in that very office, there's a peace, there's a calm, there's a sense of the presence of God when people come through those doors because you've been praying in the morning before you've ever gone to your office. You're praying with your patients. And there is a notable difference in what happens in a Christian physician's office than in the office of somebody who's not praying. There's a third reason for this. When you pray for a patient, it increases the faith of that patient. They may have very, very little faith, but as you pray for that patient, it's going to increase their faith. Sometimes people have to fly on the wings of your faith. Their faith is incredibly low, but your faith is, is very strong. I remember on an occasion I was helping a young man quit smoking. He was about 28 years old. He had begun smoking when he was 16 years old. He had smoked for 12 years. And I had shared with him the importance of drinking water, of taking a walk, of avoiding caffeine. You know, I did all those medical things that we do to help a person quit smoking. And then I began to read the promises of God to him. And promise after promise, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and so forth. We knelt down and I said to him, you pray first. That was my first mistake. And he began to pray like this. Dear Lord, you know I can never give up smoking. Dear Lord, you know that I've struggled with this for years. Dear Lord, you know how addicted I am. About halfway through the prayer, I could not take it anymore. I shook the man. Stop praying. You are going to be worse after you prayed than before. He looked at me and said, what would you say, Pastor? I said, you're going to be worse after you prayed than before. He said, why? I said, you're praying all this negative stuff about how you can't succeed and you can't overcome. I said, Jesus is all powerful. Just like he touched the man whose eyes were blind and they were opened, God will touch your eyes, you can see. He said, well, Pastor, you pray. And so I began to pray, dear Lord, I know this man is weak, but the power of the gospel can change his life. I know this man feels he's going through a struggle, but God, you're stronger than any struggle. You've said that no temptation taken us would become is common to man, but, uh, but that God is faithful. He won't let us be tempted above what we're able, that your power is greater than the inclinations. We saw that man overcome smoking. Why? Not because he had faith, but he flew on the wings of my faith for a while. Many of your patients have very little faith, if any, but as you pray, new faith is going to dawn in their heart. They see that you believe that God is working in their life and that God is going to facilitate the healing process in their life. 
And one of the reasons to pray is to help them increase faith. Another reason to pray is this. As we pray, it opens the heart of the patient to receive the power of God in dramatic ways in their life to facilitate healing. So as we pray, it opens the heart of the patient. A woman came into her general practitioner's office. She was having stomach pain and rash, a lot of rash. She couldn't sleep well at night. And as she came in, she said, Doc, is there any medication for me? I really need something. I can't sleep well at night. I really have a lot of stomach pain. This rash has surfaced. The general practitioner was extremely wise. He said to her, well, tell me about your pain. Is it on your left? Is your right? Is it general pain? She said, it's pretty general pain. What about your insomnia? Well, I have a tough time sleeping, and when I go to sleep, I wake up. And he asked her this key question. He said, when did these symptoms begin to manifest themselves? And she said, about six months ago. He said, did anything traumatic happen in your life six months ago? And she said, yes, it did. She said, my husband announced to me that he was leaving me. He was going to divorce me. And that he was going with his secretary. He was 48 and his secretary was about 24, 25. And he said, he's leaving me. She said, so my husband has left the home. He's no longer in the home. I'm by myself in this large house. Both of my children in their 20s now have grown up and they're out of the home. And she said, it's horrible. Everything I dream for, everything I hope for is gone. My whole life is crushed. The, the physician chatted with her and he saw that this woman was filled with bitterness. She was filled with anger. She was filled with resentment. He prayed that she would have the spirit of forgiveness in her heart, that she would be able to forgive her husband for what he did. At the end of the prayer, she said to him, Doc, look, my son is getting married, and this will be the first time that I meet my husband's girlfriend at the marriage of our son. What should I do? And the physician said, I want you to take this Bible text in Ephesians 4.32, be kind one another to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake forgave you. And I want you to take that text, and I want you to say, pray over that text and say, God, give me the spirit of forgiveness for my husband. Forgiving him does not in any way justify what he's done but it releases him from your condemnation, just like Christ has released you from his condemnation. So she said, Doc, I'll do it. He said, one other thing. Tell your husband to come one hour early for practice, for the wedding practice, and, and that's when he's going to bring his new wife. You go to the church an hour and a half early and pray that God will give you the spirit of forgiveness. When he walks in the door, ask God to help you to go up to him and tell him you forgive him. She said, Doc, I don't know if I could. He said, I'm going to pray that you can, and you pray that you can. She went to the wedding about an hour early, sat there at wedding practice with her head down, crying and praying. Said, God, I don't know if I can do this. God, I can't do this. God, this is impossible. And finally it came over her, you can do this. 
Because if you harbor this bitterness and anger, it's going to kill you. It's going to destroy who you are. You're going to keep having these stomach problems and so forth. She heard the old church back door creak. And she looked back, and as she turned around, she saw her husband with this beautiful, physically attractive 24-year-old. They walked down the aisle. She told her physician later, she said, I got up, walked up, put my hand on my husband's shoulder, and said, called him by name, and said, this is going to be a hard weekend for you and for me, but I want you to know that I'm not going to spoil it for our son. I forgive you. She looked at the girl, tapped her on the shoulder, and said, you know what? I'm not going to harbor any bitterness or anger because it's only going to hurt me and it's going to crush this whole relationship in the weekend. I want you to know I forgive you. She came back to her physician about two weeks later after the wedding and she said to her physician, you know what? Surprisingly, I'm sleeping well at night. My rash is beginning to go away. And although there's a pain in my heart over what happened, and I'm not going to minimize that, there is. She said, I'm learning to forgive and to be done with bitterness. What did a prayer in that office do? The prayer in that office opened the door for a spiritual conversation that facilitated healing. As you pray with your patients, you'll be amazed at what God does in their lives. Doc? All right, so we have just a couple last minutes. Uh, just um, if you haven't been doing this in your practice, I would just encourage you to try. You don't have to do it with every patient. You maybe you will do it just before a procedure. Um, maybe you'll just decide to do it a couple of times a day. Um, but as you get comfortable doing it, you'll find that patients actually appreciate it. Um, it will encourage you to do it more and more, and you'll get to the point where you feel very comfortable with it. It gets to the point that uh, I haven't, but when I, patients think that I'm about to close the conversation and forget that, they'll actually remind me, oh, doctor. And I've had patients come now. Um, actually, I have quite a few patients that come with the expectation that I'm going to pray for them because they've heard that we do that in their church or in their social groups. And so... Um, this has actually been amazing for more referrals because uh, patients really, really appreciate it. I had one lady who I'd prayed with who was an elder in her church bring her daughter three weeks later. And her daughter's in her 20s. She's sitting on the table. I started asking her, well, um, why are you here? And she just kind of looked at me. I said, well, you have any chest pain? No. Do you got your heart racing or skipping? No. Um, after asking all these questions, finally I said, well, why did you come? And the lady's mom finally said, well, uh, Dr. Schwartz, I just wanted her to have a doctor that prayed with her. <laughs> I don't know how to build that out. <laughs> I didn't turn in a bill that day, but I prayed with her daughter. So, Father in heaven, we're all on a journey of learning how to reflect Christ to the people around us. And as we uh, venture out, and become more comfortable, I just pray that you would lead each one. Some of us are just beginning. Many of us have had experiences already. And we just pray that through this that we can truly be used to point those that are seeking, those that are hurting in our world all around us to see the Savior. Teach us how to do that as effectively as we can in the realm that we work in. And bless each one tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.